and we're going to begin today with dating. Dating, okay? And uh, now listen, don't check out on me, those of you who are uh, no longer young, okay? Didn't call you old, just said no longer young. Don't check out on me because you may say, well, that's not, no, 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 listen. The things I'm going to say the next two weeks are going to build on this, okay? So don't check out on me. And, and plus this too, because even if you're married and you got kids, hey, you got kids. This is important to them, and because you're a parent, it's important to you. Or grandkids, yet yeah, it's important. It's still because you've got kids or grandkids. This stuff's still important to you, especially the places where society and our culture has gotten out of line. And I don't, you know, we, we, our culture and our society kind of twisted God's word for a while. But now we've just totally, I think in a lot of ways, just lost it. And we've just gone our own way. It's like we don't even care about trying to line it up with the word of God anymore. And so for those reasons, every child of God needs to be interested in these kinds of messages. So let's pray. Father, I love you and thank you, God, for the true freedom, Lord, the, tr the freedom that reigns, God just reigns in our, our lives, Lord, that God, it, that it lives within us. It doesn't just show up on Sunday when we get here. It lives with us. This freedom lives with us every day. And I pray, God, God, I know there's some kids, there's some teenagers right now that are bound. And they don't even realize they're bound. They're bound by some of these things that you've got me prepared to share this morning. I pray, God, you set them free. I pray that some parents, some adults, some grandparents, they see and recognize these things, and they, they start praying the prayers, and they start speaking the words. They start sharing. They start challenging to set their, their teens, their, their uh, kids and grandkids free as well. And I pray, God, something, something powerful happens uh, in, in relationships and in marriages and in homes through this series. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said... Amen. Okay, so we're going to talk about dating, so let's look at dating in the Bible, okay? Look at dating in the Bible. Does anybody know where I'm going? Well, dating isn't in the Bible. I mean, there's nothing about dating in the Bible, and here's the reason. It's because dating is a new thing. I mean, dating is a fairly new phenomenon. I mean, it's, it, it's not something that's been around. I, I know some of you say, well, it's been around all my life. Yeah, but I'm talking about in the whole history of mankind, dating has just been around really a little over 100 years, up until the end of the 19th century. Um, you know, up until then, pretty much, especially in our cultures here in the West and even the, the countries that we came from in Europe and things, and even, even back beyond that and in some other cultures, it was more like a uh, courting was more what it was. was. And, you know, it's like a, uh, when a young man and a young woman wanted to spend time together, you know where they did it. It was, uh, it was called sometimes keeping company in the family parlor. You know, so if a young man wanted to see a young lady, he did it in the presence of of maybe her entire family. Every eye of her family was watching their every move. So it sounds like a really exciting thing, doesn't it, young, young people? You know, uh, sounds like a really exciting thing. But th this is the way it was. But then uh, around the turn of the last century and early in the 20th century, is uh, dating came, uh, came to pass, uh, started happening, uh, what you and I would kind of term dating. And it really took courtship to another level. You could say it turned it on its head because it truly changed it. It took courtship to another level and took courtship to other places, other venues, because uh, no longer was it just in the family parlor. Now courting was taking place or dating was taking place. Movie theaters, uh, dance halls, uh, you know, thinking about the 20s, you know, in the 30s, dance halls, restaurants, which a lot of dates today center around restaurants. And, those things. And, and so this happened, and, and, and let, me just, let me just throw this in, because this is some of the history of dating. It's because you, you may think, man, this is the coolest thing. Let me tell you where it began. It began with the lowest classes of people 
in this country. Because when, when the lower classes started this dating thing, people of means, people with money, they didn't do it because it was not considered something that was upright, upstanding. It was, it was actually looked down upon. So it was the lower classes that began dating. And a lot of it was, was uh, young ladies moving into the city and, and uh, getting jobs and having to share apartments with uh, other you know, uh, young ladies. And they no longer had a family parlor to entertain young men, so they would make dates. And they would go to these kinds of places. And those were places that, you know, really the upper crust didn't frequent a lot. And they definitely wouldn't go there to entertain. And so that's why. So I just want, want you to realize that's where dating kind of came from. Now, some of you are already thinking, oh, okay, he's going to tell us we can't date anymore. That's not what I'm saying. Hang on with me here. We're going somewhere, all right? But then dating became kind, kind of its, its own phenomenon. Okay, it became an end in itself because up until that point, in the 30s, 40s, somewhere in there of the, of the last century, uh, courtship, dating, whatever you want to call it, throughout history has always had this one, one focus of finding a mate. But all of a sudden now, dating kind of becomes its own thing. And the end in itself, that it doesn't actually have to go to, you know, marriage. It could just be, you know, just dating. And it became a, it, there, there came a time where the more you dated, the more popular you were. It became a game. It became, you know, a way to show how popular you were. As a matter of fact, some used to say you, uh, you got a date to rate, but you got a rate to date. You know, what, you know what I mean? And so it's like this vicious cycle that if you didn't date, people thought you were a nobody. So you had to date to rate. But if you wanted to rate and be a somebody, you had to date. And then, but so it was a cycle. It just kept, and so you, and you never could get off this cycle. The only way to get off that cycle, if you get on it, is get married. And so a lot of marriages happened that shouldn't have happened because they were dating the wrong people. And so the dating to rating and the rating to date, and it just was a cycle on and on and on and over and over and over. And, and, and so, so the relationship thing, as far as, far as, a, as, far as a full lifelong commitment, kind of started to slip into the background. And then came along this thing of uh, going steady. Now, some of you old enough to remember, really remember going steady. You know, uh, it was, it was kind of slipping out when I was a kid, okay? So, so people younger than me are saying, like, going steady. Well, it just, when my kids were 12, 13, 14 years old, they called it going out, you know. Uh, they never went out. I mean, you know, they didn't have a car to go out in, you know. And so, I mean, if they didn't go out, uh, yeah, I guess you could have gone on your bicycle or something. But they didn't go out. That's what they called it. You go, uh, you know, you don't go out with me. And, you know, and I, I, would just, I would just laugh, you know, when they'd say, uh, I, yeah, he's going out with so-and-so. They're not going out anywhere. You know, they're just, you know, they're just talking, you know, hold hands, walking up and down the, the halls at school or whatever, you know. They're not going out. Whatever you want to call it, going steady, going out, you know, dating even, even when it's not. It, it was an exclusivity, you know, when it, when it came to in the, the 50s is when this really kind of became popular. You know, you, you would give your class ring to your girl, you know, and everybody knew that you and she was, were in a committed relationship. But it was really a commitment without commitment. Because the only commitment was, I am just going to date you until I decide I want to date somebody else, then I'll tell you and we'll break up and I'll date somebody else. Because there was no real commitment. It was a commitment without a commitment. And so here's what was going on, because a lot of people thought, man, this is good. They are dating exclusively. This is good. This is training them for marriage. They weren't learning how to have a long-lasting, true, loving relationship. They weren't learning how to fight through the tough times, to have a problem enter their relationship and figure out a way to work that. That's not what people are learning when they have these, these kinds of exclusive relationships. You know what? They were practicing divorce. That's what they were doing. 
because the, the, the commitment, I, I meant these going steadies. I mean, you know, I, I, I hate to say this. I actually had one of those relationships when I was about 14 years old. It almost lasted a day. <laughs> you know, almost lasted a day. I didn't really like her in the first place, but it was kind of cool that a girl asked me to go steady. So I did, you know, for a few hours. And she, she called and broke up with me, and I was so glad she called and broke up with me, you know. And so, you know what we were learning? We were learning, we were practicing divorce. We were practicing how to commit and decommit. You know, to take the ring off the finger or off the chain and to give it back. Come on, look at this. We're practicing divorce, of, of, of splitting up the assets, of dividing up the friends. You know, some couples that are dating, they actually even buy pets. You know, you know any weirdos like that? They buy pets, like they buy a dog and she keeps it for a week and then he keeps it for a week. You know, they go back and forth. And then when they break up, what happens? They have to decide who gets custody of the pets. They're practicing divorce. And where have we gotten to today? Today, you know, this commitment and relationship and lifelong has kept slipping into the background until finally where we've gotten to today is it doesn't have to be about relationship at all or commitment or even romance or even attraction. The relationship can be just sex. That's the way it is for a lot of people today. It can just be sex. And I'm not going to go very far there because that's next Sunday sermon. I want you to know that, okay? Just come on, okay? It's going to be rated R next week, okay? I want you to understand, okay? My wife's already, she's already uh, planning to be in the nursery next week. So just go ahead and plan, okay? I'm not going to go there very far. Okay, but that's where we get, uh, that's why we get the phrase today. Friends with, y'all know that? Y'all have heard that? What does that mean? No relationship. No commitment. Doesn't even have to be any physical attraction, no romantic desire whatsoever, just sex. That's where we are. Society has totally changed its ideals for relationship in a little over a hundred years. You know, it used to be that that, that that courting, dating, whatever, the relationship was all about finding, finding a person that you were compatible with that would be an awesome life partner. Someone that you would like to raise a family with, have children with. Someone that you had confidence in their parental abilities. That's what it used to be. And where it's come to now, and throughout this whole history here, is a little bit of competition and consumerism as well. Because it's like, you know, if I can, oh, because she's prettier than that girl I used to date, so if I can date her, all of a sudden now my rating has gone up better so I can date even better. And it's a consumerism. And you know what happens when you consume something? You see, there's the problem. Is dating wrong? Not inherently. Dating is not wrong inherently. So, so those of you who thought I'm telling you you're going to have to quit dating, no, but you need to listen to this really, really, really close. Dating is not wrong inherently, like a lot of things around us like computers. Anybody here own a computer? Or you got one in your purse right now, don't you? Or hanging on your hip? Yeah, your smartphone. It's a computer. That's a computer. And we have them. All of, are they bad? Are they uh, Well, if they're bad, then we're going to have to you know, bring them all down here like we used to do with rock and roll albums, you know, and have a burning right here. You know, we're going to have to bring them all down. Now, are they bad? Not, not, not inherently, but sometimes they cause problems, right? Does, does your spouse ever play games too much when you're saying, hey, put that down and let's talk a little bit? 
or, or you know, or your, or your friend, or does your does your wife maybe your husband does that, or does your wife is she always on Facebook or Pinterest or whatever you know what, you know she's and what or, or tweeting or, or 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 don't you hate those people that are always snapping pictures to put on Instagram and you know you feel like you got to look your best all the time right now you know and it, it can cause problems in a relationship right or pornography. You know, if you've been here for a while, you heard me say a long time ago, I, I shared this, but back when I was a youth pastor, and it's been a few years ago, back in the 80s, when I was a youth pastor, I heard a lady say, she said, my six-year-old son has more sexual temptation on his way home from school than his grandfather did when he was 19 years old on Friday night out looking for it. That was in the 80s. And look where it's gotten to now. Today, we carried around on our hip pornography. Open that phone. Google search, boom, the pictures are there. We carry it around with us. It is there. It's, what do you do with that? Oh, computers are bad. No, computers aren't bad. But when there becomes a problem, whether it's time issues, porn, I threw that porn thing in there because we've got to, and we're laying some foundation for next week too. But if it's that, what do you do? You got to stop. You got to say, wait a minute, there are some potential dangers in this. You got to back away from it and look at this. And you got to make some decisions. What is it I'm living for? What is it I am living for? What is important? And then you've got to make some changes. And you've got to set some parameters. And say, this cannot go any farther anymore. Same way it is with dating. Is dating inherently bad? Nope. But dating hurts a lot of people. I don't mean just their feelings. Dating destroys a lot of people. So you know what you need to do? I'm not talking about just a relationship that you might be in right now. You need to take a good look at dating like we all need to take a good look at our computer use. You need to back up and say, wait a minute. There are some dangers here. In dating, there are dangers. There are some things that may destroy me or destroy the people that I date. And so let me look at this. Let me back up and examine the way this thing ought to be. And now let me make some decisions. What is it that I am living for? Who is it that I serve? What is important to me? What am I going to stand for no matter what else comes my way? What is it that when I let everything else go and out of my life, what is the one thing I'm going to hold on to? Hopefully it's God. I hope you know where, realize where I'm going with this. What are the things that are important to me? And then I've got to make some changes. And I've got to set some parameters. And it's not just about sex but you've got to set some parameters in your dating. It's not just about sex. It's about everything. Because connecting with someone too much, too quick, too soon, and ripping that away will destroy a heart. We have, we have to relook at this thing. So let's look at what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say anything about dating, but the Bible does say something about relationships. And there are basically three relationships. Now, there's one more that we're not going to deal with uh, in this series, because I'm actually going to deal with a lot of that in our next series in March, okay? But there's one more series, there's one more relationship that I'm not going to deal with, but there are basically three relationships that we have as Christians. And the first one is that every single Christian that, that, that is alive today or has ever lived anywhere on the face of this earth, they are your spiritual brother or sister, okay? And so because of that, God has given us some direction. Let's look at Scripture. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, Hebrews 10, 24. Let us consider one another. 
that how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. And so as you're dating another child of God, you know, hopefully you're dating, if you're dating, I hope you're dating a child of God. I hope you seriously understand the importance of that. And if you're dating a child of God, you need to understand you have responsibility. Now listen, I'm not dating any of you. I'm married. But I have responsibility to you, right? I have responsibility to you. I need to spur you on toward love and to good deeds. If I, if I were to be dating one of you, if, I, if you're to be dating one of these, that doesn't change your responsibility. You still have the responsibility to spur, to encourage one another to love and good deeds, not bad deeds. Not to manipulate them, not to, not to encourage them to do something that they should not be doing. Okay? And then First uh, uh, John chapter 3 says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. That is who we are. We are God's children. Have y'all ever seen, uh, well, I did this actually in a sermon last year. Uh, one of my friends posted, and he's, he's, got, he's got a couple little girls that are growing up. One of my friends posted on Facebook pictures of his, all of his ammo he had. I mean, he just had it piled, and he obtained a picture of it and started talking about it. He's a, he's a Marine. So he talked about all the weapons that he was qualified, and he was trained to fire. And so we actually showed pictures in this sermon last year. We talked about all those things that he was, he was... And he was just doing this to remind any little boys that were thinking about coming and dating his girls that these are the things that I have at my disposal and the training and the abilities that I have. Y'all know anybody like that? Any of them sitting right here? All right, come on, come on, come on dads. You know, you're, you know, you're sitting right here. Let me tell you something. And some of you may be thinking, oh yeah, that's a girl. I wouldn't even think about dating a girl that had a dad like that. Or maybe you thought about, oh, I really like to date her, but I'm, I'm a little worried if you ever kind of thought, let me tell you something. Don't worry about that dad. Worry about that dad. Because you're not just dating that guy's daughter or son. You're dating his daughter or son. Don't worry about the guy with a lot of firepower. Worry about the guy with all the power. You're dating a child of God. And even if they're not a Christian, you, you, we got some counselors. You need some counseling if you're dating somebody that's not a Christian. And if you're, if you're dating somebody that's not a Christian, they are still his child. They're just lost. They were created in his image. And you still have responsibility to them. The second type of relationship we have is friends. And, I, and I'm going to say circle of friends because I want you to get something here. It's not just acquaintances. Y'all know what acquaintances are, right? Like, uh, like uh, oh, we, were, we were in the, the new Dairy Queen just a few days after it opened and, and somebody came in and, and I nodded and they didn't, they, they didn't even act like they even saw me. They made eye contact, but they didn't even, you know, I nodded and said, hey, I, I, you know, didn't, didn't finish, you know, because they just kind of looked away. And I thought, oh, I thought I knew them. Do they go to church? Do they visit church? All of a sudden it hit me. It's the lady that sells me stamps down at the post office, right? Okay, so she's not a friend. She's an acquaintance. I mean, I recognize the face. Here, here's the point. You aren't friends with every child of God. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for mercy, Proverbs 17, 17. A friend loves at all times. The lady at the post office sells me stamps. She doesn't love me all the time. Sometimes I want something and she don't have it. She don't love me that moment that I'm trying to ask her for something. A man with, friends, uh, a man with many friends can still be ruined, but a true friend sticks closer than a brother. Okay, so what Scripture's saying is you can have a lot of friends and still have problems, but if you've got a true friend, it's making a distinction between friends and true friends. So that circle of friends. You see, you're, you, you can't be friends with every Christian in the world. 
You don't have time or resources to be friends with a billion people. I don't care how, how much you try on Facebook to like everybody that you come across. You cannot be friends with every Christian, that, every person that claims to be a Christian, a born-again believer on the face of this earth today. You don't have the money or the time to buy one billion birthday cards every year. Okay? You, you just don't. So every child of God is not your close friend. We're talking about close friends here. And close friends, here's something else. He says, 1 Corinthians 6.14, do not be mismatched with unbelievers. For what partnership is there between righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? We are not... This is a scripture that we've used for years and years and years. He's talking about marriage. But dating and courtship is getting close to... I mean, it's headed in that direction. Don't be connected in that way to them. Now listen. <clears throat> Sometimes, two people of the opposite sex who were just friends, go to the movies together. There's no romantic desire. There's no infatuation. There, there's no passion there. They just say, hey, let's go see a movie. And two people of the opposite sex go see a movie. They're just friends. But the thing you need to do is, that's one of those places you put your parameters and say, but wait, they are just my friends. Don't talk about how many kids you want to have when you get married. Don't talk about what kind of house you want. You know, one of those kinds. Now, now we guys... We, we don't have a problem with setting those kind of parameters. We don't even like talking about kids and, and houses and that kind of stuff too early with our, uh, the, the person we're dating that we think we might marry one day. So especially we don't want to do that. You know, we, we don't push our parameters that far in those areas. We guys, we have a hard time sometimes setting parameters in the right places for our physical and fleshly desires. But whatever, we need to understand where we are in a relationship who this person is to us, and set the parameters accordingly. You see, because here, here's the problem. is a lot of times we forget they're just a friend. They're not someone that I'm considering marrying. And if we want to look at what the Bible has to say about courtship or dating and any of that kind of stuff, the only place we can really look is to look and see what the Bible says about the only relationship, the only relationship that the Bible talks about that involves passion and romantic desire and those kinds of things, those emotions, is marriage. And so when we talk about dating, we have to talk about what the Bible says about marriage because that's the only relationship that romantic desire, these physical infatuations and passions that we have, that's the only place that the Bible, it's almost like it's the only place that God even assumes we should use those passions and things is in marriage. And so what does it say about marriage? You know, in Genesis, and this is one scripture. I think this is probably the scripture quoted more times in, in the other parts of the Bible than, than, than any other. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. That is not going out together for a little while. Hey, you want to go get a movie this afternoon? That's not what that's talking about. Hey, you want to go steady? That's not what this is talking about. Hey, you want to have sex? That's not what this is talking about. It's talking about leaving, and not leaving for a while, becoming one flesh. That's an eternal thing. When you become one with something, that's an eternal thing. You don't become one with something for a little while, and then it's one with something else for a little while. No, becoming one. Leave where you were and become something else. And then let's go to a place, Song of Solomon. You all know Song of Solomon? You're not going to get embarrassed today. 
But I skipped a lot of those others. Okay, There's a whole lot in there right now that, man, we get some red faces in just a moment if I read some of the stuff in there. Of Song of Solomon. We're skipping some of that. But even though I'm skipping some of that and trying to keep it PG this morning, okay? Even though I'm skipping some of that, I want you to see how deeply passionate it is in just these few verses. Kiss me and kiss me again, for your love is sweeter than wine. You have captured my heart, my treasure, my bride. You hold it hostage with one glance of your eyes, with a single jewel of your necklace. Your love delights me, my treasure, my bride. Your love is better than wine. Your perfume more fragrant than spices. And then she replies, I am my beloved, and he longs for me. And what that means is he is passionate. He passionately desires me. That's deeper than dating. You understand? When God speaks about these kinds of things, he's not talking about hanging out. He's not talking about having a meal. He's not talking about seeing a movie. He's talking about a lifelong committed relationship. Here's what we need to understand. Is we don't take the next steps until we're ready and we know they're ready. And and I'm not talking about... I'm I'm trying to not jump over to next week's sermon too much, but I'm not talking about bases. That's not what I'm talking about. We'll talk a little bit about that next week. But I'm going to talk about that. I'm talking about the next steps of going from being a Christian brother or sister to a friend to romance. We don't take those steps until it's time and until we're ready. And so we have to, we have to, we have to determine what is right. We have to determine what is, is the right thing. And so, so, so listen, you know, in the 60s, as, as we, we look back and call it the sexual revolution, when they were, were, were proclaiming freedom from all this stuff that your parents have been telling you. Oh, they just don't want you to have fun. They want you to be bound and not have any fun. When in reality, they wanted you to not have the destruction that came from the sexual freedom that was given. Let me tell you something. You will never be free from everything. You will always serve something. You will always serve God because you choose to, or you will serve something else that takes his place. But you will serve something. And when you don't serve God, you may feel like that's a freedom. Oh, I don't have to do what God says. Yeah, you can have that freedom if that's the freedom you want. But you will be bound by something else. And so many of our kids today are bound by the dating lifestyle, the dating culture that we have. I mean, bound. I mean, you know, I, 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 got, I got to hurry here, but I, I don't have time to tell you about all the kids that have come to me bound and destroyed because I can't get a date and I can't be popular and no one will give me the time of day and I'm nobody's friend on Facebook. I can't date because I don't rate. And I don't rate because I don't date. That's bondage. That's not freedom. That I can only be popular. I can only be popular if I'll allow certain sexual advances to be made upon my body. That's not freedom. You know what freedom is? Freedom is looking this world in the face and say, I don't care what the rest of you do. I am free to make my own choices. And, and, and this is what it's going to take if you want to date me. God give us more young men and young women who say, This is, I am free to decide for myself. And this is what it takes 
to date me. This is what it takes to be a part of my life. This is what it takes to be a friend of my Facebook. This is what it takes to pour into me and tell me a little bit of something. Give us more. And let me tell you, let me tell you who. You know, I was really talking to you youngsters there for a few minutes. Let me talk to those of you who are, who are no longer young. Steering around that old word, okay? Nobody has more to do with creating young men and young women of God who will say that than you. Because even when the relationship is not perfect between a child and their dad, children look to their dad more than anybody else for moral and ethical questions. They will say their entire life, I will not be like my dad. And then they grow up looking in the mirror. And their mom is number two. Sometimes the, the, sometimes the relationship is so damaged that yes, they don't look to their dad, they'll look to mom. And if the relationship is damaged, then dad, there's something about it. Because you have more to do with raising godly young men and godly young women who are free. Who are free to live an abundant, unbound life in Jesus Christ. To not be bound by the, the, the mores of, of this culture that we live in, but to be free to stand for what they have decided in their heart is the way they're going to go. Stand with me. Would you come to the front? Let's close. Hang on to all this. This is just part one. One last thing, because we probably need to do a little repenting. We need to do a little examining. Young people, you need to do some examination today. What's your dating? Your dating look like everybody else is dating? Why don't you turn loose of that? Why don't you get free? Why don't you become what God wants you to be in your dating? And quit trying to be and feel a need that everybody else says you have. And be who God's called you to be. Let's re-examine it. And where we need to, let's repent. That God changed my attitude, changed my heart. Can I tell you something? Over the last two or three decades, I've been so sick at my stomach of hearing people say, I mean, I just cut to the chase. I just say, well, you parents now, you got, you know, you got to stay out of your child's room. That's their private, they got to have their private space. I'm sick of that. I was so glad to hear two sociologists on TV yesterday saying, if I pay for the if I pay for the cell phone, then I'm gonna monitor the cell phone. Amen. But go beyond that. If it's in my house, I'm responsible for it. Can I tell you something? You know, anything that happens in this room, I am responsible for because I'm pastor. You know, if something happens and you know something wrong happens, or what? You know, I'm, a, I'm responsible for this stuff. I'm gonna stand before God. Same thing for you at your house. You parents, you're responsible for everything that goes on in their house, in that house. If it happens, you need to be there. And you need to help them see. A lot of our young people are drowning because they don't have parents to stand up and say, let's talk. Let's look at this. You keep getting wiped out by all these dating relationships you've got. Let's talk about it. How can this thing be better? Stand up, Mom, Dad. Time for some repentance. Time for some... Let me tell you what this is all about, really. It's all about the, uh, having a God attitude. Having a God attitude. And you need to take this into the next steps of your life. If you're dating, 
You need to get a God attitude toward all those people that you're dating. And if you're married, you better get it because what you need to do is you need to also take that into your marriage. You want to fix your marriage? Let me give you one piece of advice that'll fix it quicker than anything else. Get a God attitude toward your spouse. When you start looking at your spouse like God looks at them, it'll be hard for you to treat them like you've been treating them. A lot of things will start working out. When you realize that you're not the only child of God in that marriage, the person that you're living with is too. Let's get a God attitude toward one another. That's the only way the vow is going to mean anything. Bow with me. Jamie, lead us when you can. Don't start singing until you finish praying.